Well, good evening. First of all, I just want to thank you guys for all coming out. Um, I know there's sacrifices being made with the ball game going on, so appreciate that. Um, yeah, I also just want to really start out and thank everybody here for um, just your support of us. Your prayers, your support, this church standing behind us. Um, we're going to talk about tonight about what God has been doing in the Cora Valley, and it is uh, an extension uh, of this church, a ministry of this church. Um, it is God working through you guys, working through us to, to see the Cora people come to know him. And so first of all, before I even start, I just want to say thank you, because you guys have played a huge part. And I want you guys, as you hear about these things, as you see these things, I want you to be able to realize that this is, this is a ministry of ours. This is something that we have all had a part in. Um, but then going along with that, the second thing I want to say right off the bat is to remind everybody as they're watching these things, as they're seeing these things, as you're hearing me talk, I want you guys to remember who did all these things. I want you guys to remember that um, it's not Craig and Shelley in the Cora Valley building God's church. It's not First, First Baptist Church that is building God's church, but it is God who is building his church. And we're going to see, hopefully you guys are going to see some things that are going to really excite you tonight because they really excite me, um, but we have to remember that we need to just give all glory to God. Because I'm going to be up here, and as, to tell you the truth, I'm going to be bragging a little bit, but it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about God and what God has been doing. In fact, we know the Apostle Paul talks about um, God using the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Um, and in a lot of situations, um, for me, I would, I would rephrase what he said and maybe say, he uses the idiots of the world to shame the wise. Um, I mean, and you guys know me. You know my background. I don't come from an extra special background. I don't have a, a lot of education. The education mom I got was good, but not a, lot, not, not a lot of extra education. Okay, I just got to clarify that right off the bat. <laughs> but I'm just, you know, you guys know me. I'm a normal guy, you know. But God has been able to do some neat things in the Cora Valley, and it's really not been because of me and Shelley, but it's been because of him and his greatness. Um, let's see, what did I do with that? There it is. Okay, this is our team in the, in the Cora Valley. Um, as you guys know, or some of you might know, uh, we did lose our coworkers, the Mussers. Um, they, are, they left, and they're doing a town ministry now due to having trouble getting the language. But it's us and the Palmers. Um, in the, in the Cora Valley. We've been there for about seven years now. And the first four years of our being in there was just language study. Um, it took four years to learn the language. The language had never been written down before. Nobody had ever studied it before. And so it, looked, it took a long time. And when you look at it, it seems like, man, that's a long time to spend just learning language. Um, but it's really neat how God used it to really not just have us there learning language, but to get involved in the people's lives. See, we weren't just sitting there at a computer studying language, but we were out with the people. We were eating with them. We were uh, gardening with them. We were playing with their kids. Our kids were playing with their kids. We were interacting, and we were doing life together for four years. Shelly and the other ladies on our team did medical for that whole time in there, um, just showing Christ's love to the people by caring for their, for their babies, by caring for them when they were sick. Um, and it was really neat just to see how God used that, that time of language learning that we could look at and say, man, that seems kind of a waste of time. That's a lot of time. But God used that to get the core of people to, to, to get to know us and to see something about us that maybe was different and, and they wanted to know more about it. 
So after four years of, of language study, we were considered fluent in the Kora language. And so at that time, our coworker, uh, Jeff, he's the guy with the blue hat on there, he started translating Bible portions so that we could start teaching the Kora people about what Christ had done for them. Um, during that time, while he was translating, I started to uh, create a curriculum, a literacy curriculum for the Kora people to teach them to read and write in their own language. And you ask, okay, well, why, you know, why are you doing that before you even presented the gospel to them? But we have to realize that literacy is actually a, a key to building Christ's church. Because if they don't have God's word, if they have God's word in their language, but they can't read it, how is that going to help them? Or if they're sitting there and, and they're listening to me speak and I'm telling all, the, all these wonderful things about what God has done for them, I don't want them just trusting my words. I don't want them to sit there and listen, okay, Craig said this, so it must be true. It's the same thing with our pastors here. Pastor Tim doesn't want us to sit there and say, I don't know what God's word says, but Pastor Tim said it, so I'll believe it. No, we want to go to God's word, right? We want to be grounded and founded on God's word, and that's what we wanted for the Korah people as well. So we started a literacy program, and during that time, I was creating Bible lessons as well um, to begin teaching the Korah people about what Christ had done for them. Um, and that's what I want to kind of lay out for you guys today is about how we went about that. Um, it was in Jan uh, June of 2015 that we started um, to teach the Korah people about what Christ had done for them. But really leading up to that point, guys, I can tell you it was, it was crazy to see the attacks of Satan Satan coming against us. Um, the attacks of Satan to try to draw people away from the teaching. There were rumors that had not, we had never heard before coming from town of, um, you know, there's all this money out in town. The government has this money for you guys. You just have to come out and get it. And surprise, surprise, they were supposed to go out right when we were starting teaching. Um, again, there was things, there was in the next valley over, there was talk of these real lucrative jobs to come. And surprise, surprise, they were supposed to go right when we started teaching. And the people themselves were going back and forth, and they're saying, I don't know, I might go out to town, I don't know, I might stay here. And it was going back and forth, it was just like a roller coaster, and our emotions were going back and forth. And just being, you know, one day we're like, yeah, everybody's coming, next day it's like, we're going to be teaching two-year-olds. Like, are you kidding? There's nobody going to be here. And it was going back and forth, and, and we could just see that Satan was really trying to discourage us. Um, a lot of times I like to talk about another aspect of what we learned during that time. I'm not going to get into it now, but it was just neat to see how God showed us and reassured us, I have one job for you to do. I have you there to plant the seed, to sow the seed. Sorry, not plant, just to sow. Just cast that seed out there. Just take the good news and share it. That's all that I have for you to do. I'm not expecting you to convict the people. I'm not expecting you to make them listen. I'm not expecting you to save anybody. I just want you to sow the seed. And it was so comforting to get to that point where we realized, you know what? Whoever's here, we just share the word. And that's what we did. But guys, it was so neat to see because we know from God's word that, the, that God's word is powerful. You know, it said it, it is, it is par powerful. It's like a two-edged sword, and we saw that as we, as we unleashed it. That's really all we did. You know, you, we can't take credit for anything that we did. All we did is we just kind of let it go, and God went to work in an amazing, amazing way. We started in the book of Genesis. So I want to lay out for you a little bit about how we taught so you can kind of see how the Korah people's minds uh, began to grasp who God is, who man is, and what God has done to uh, redeem us back to himself.
And so we started in Genesis, and we started to talk about kind of what I talked about this morning, the greatness of God. First, we wanted them to see how great, how awesome, how far above us God is. We wanted to build God up in their minds because up until then, they thought God is kind of like maybe one of their ancestors, somebody who was real finicky. You know, he'd get mad at times and punish, and then he'd be happy, and he'd bless, and he had to appease him and please him in everything you did. So we wanted them to come to understand who God really was, who God really is. We started then with, we went into creation. We talked about how God created the world. And, you know, we, we taught for a while on it. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but we taught about how God created everything for us. He created everything for mankind. He prepared everything for mankind. How he did the, the diversity that we see in creation, the awesomeness we see in creation. I mean, just right here, the, the earth and the sun and the moon, I mean, and just the, the en- enormous size of the sun and, and the amazing uh, creation we see on the earth. We talked about how um, God didn't just create one kind of sweet potato. All you Americans think there's just one kind of sweet potato, but there's not. We don't have many kinds here. I went to Kroger the other day to look for sweet It's like, there's a sweet potato. There's one kind. That's it. There's like, in the Cora Valley, there's between 50 to 75 kinds of sweet potato. And they know it. They have their favorites. They have the ones they don't like. They have the ones in between. They have it. And, and the, it, it hit with them to say, wow, God loves us so much that he didn't just create this sweet potato, this one kind that we can't stand. I mean, he could have done that. And we would have lived, but he created all these kinds of sweet potato for us. And the trees and the, and the birds and the animals. And we just showed them that God, in the diversity that God created, and he did it because he loves us. Then we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, about the creation of Adam and Eve. And how he created Adam and Eve in his image. And they were perfect. And they communed with God, they walked with God, and everything was perfect. And right around that time, the things that we started teaching really started colliding with what the Korah people believed. Because they believed that women, right around the time that a girl starts becoming a woman, right around that time, she gets an evil spirit. And that evil spirit will go out at night and will actually kill men. So anytime a man dies, anytime anybody dies, actually, usually a woman is, is uh, blamed for that. And so right away as we started teaching that, wait a second, Eve was created in God's image. Eve was created perfect as well. It wasn't like Adam was given a good spirit and Eve was given an evil spirit. No, they were created the same. And their worldview started to change a little bit. They started to think a little bit. There was this one woman here, her name's Watina. And as she heard that, God began loosening the bonds already that had held her for so long. This is an older lady, and so she had been accused many times of killing men with her evil spirit. And when she heard this, she heard, no, she said, I knew it, I knew it, I, I knew I had never killed these guys. I knew I had never done that. I was, I was always blamed for doing that, but I knew it wasn't true. And as she was saying this, she was saying this in tears and saying, it's not true. Originally, we were all created in God's image. And already God was loosening these bonds. She didn't know Christ yet, but she was, the bonds were being loosened. So then we continued teaching. And we taught about Adam and Eve and how they sinned. How they wanted to be like God and they sinned. They ate the fruit that God had told them not to eat and they plunged all humanity into sin. 
And around that time, we used a, a tree as an illustration. We took a little sapling, we cut it down, we, we tied it up outside our teaching house, and we showed them that just like that, 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 that tree, when it is connected to its roots, when it's connected to its source, it's green, it's alive, it looks beautiful. But as soon as you cut it down, even though you cut it down, and, and that moment you cut it down, it looks fine, everything looks good. But the core of people, they know their agriculture, and they knew automatically, they said, no, that's dead. It's as good as dead, because it's not connected to its source. And we say, that's right. It's the same thing with mankind. Adam and Eve sinned, and so we were disconnected. We're disconnected from our source. That's why we die. That's why we're separated from God. And they could look at that tree every single day as it began to wither. And then it totally withered. The leaves turned brown. The leaves fell off. The kids eventually started ripping off the, the twigs for firewood because they were so dry and they saw it every day. And we could point to it and say, that is mankind. We are disconnected. We are separated from God because we've been cut off from our source. And they were seeing this problem that we had. You know, we wanted them to come to an understanding that we are hopeless before God. Exactly what we were talking about this morning. We wanted them to get to the point where they were like Isaiah and they were saying, oh, woe is me. I'm a sinner in, in the presence of an almighty, holy God. But even as we told them this, we kept throwing out just little tidbits, reminding them, but wait, remember what God said when Adam and Eve sinned? Remember that he gave them that promise that he would send somebody to crush the head of Satan. Remember, God, remember, guys, God is going to do something about this. Remember, guys, God promised that he was going to do something. We kept reminding them. This man right here, as we were teaching, this is Tobias. And as we were teaching about this, as we were showing the tree, reminding them that they were, connected with, that they were disconnected from God, that they were separated, Tobias said, yeah, but wait, remember, God said that he was going to send somebody to do something about this. Remember, guys. And it was already, it was already being developed in their minds that, that God had promised that he was going to send someone to crush the head of Satan, and therefore, he was going to do it. God does not lie. And already in this man, Tobias's mind, he was beginning to understand that. So we kept teaching. And we kept going, and we got to the story of Cain and Abel. <clears throat> And this was a really good story for the Korah people because you see, guys, the story of Cain and Abel tells us that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to be right with God. We can't bring anything. We can't do anything to be right with God in and of ourselves. The Korah people were a very self-righteous people. They are a very self-righteous people. They believe that they can do things that will make God pleased with them and that he will allow them to be with him in heaven one day. That if they do enough good, he's going to bless them. If they do bad, he's not going to bless them. And they're in this, in this relationship of trying to make God happy with them. So we taught the story of Cain and Abel. And we know from Scripture that Cain and Abel both knew what they were supposed to bring to God. They were supposed to bring a blood sacrifice so that as they killed that lamb, they would see the blood and they would, man, that should be my blood. That should be me. I should be the one who's dying for my sins. And that's what Abel did. He brought a blood sacrifice. But Cain didn't. Cain, in essence, said, you know what, God? I don't want to come to you my, your way. I have a lot of pretty good stuff myself. 
I have a lot of good fruit right here that I, cre- I, that I produced myself. I harvested myself, God. Look at this. What do you think, God? And it was exactly like what the Korah people would do. They would go to church. They would dress up nice. They would do all these different things, and they would say, God, look at this. Look at what I have to offer you, God. Look at how good I am. And as we taught about the story about Cain and Abel, they were cut to the heart. And they began to see that nothing they did, nothing that they brought could make them right before God. That they were hopeless. As we were teaching this, there was a a guy named Yoel. This was one of my language helpers. And as he heard this, he said, man, Cain is just like us. That's exactly what we do. We think we're good on the outside. We try to clean the outside up. But it doesn't matter. The ones that are dirty on the outside are are sinful on the outside. And the ones that are sinful on the inside, all of it's exposed before God. He sees it all. We are all sinners. We are all hopeless before God. He said there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right before Yahweh. So I asked him, so what do you think we, you know, what should we do then? He said there's nothing we can do. All we can do is trust God because he said he was going to send someone to save us. He didn't know the rest of the story, and he was clinging to that little bit of hope. He had, in a sense, let go of the end of the rope and said, I'm done. Woe is me. And instead, he was clinging to the hope that he was seeing in Scripture that God does not lie, and he was going to do what he said. So he kept teaching about the story about Abraham and Isaac. And we talked about how we talked about how God was faithful and how God provided a substitute for Isaac. We also reminded the Korah people, okay guys, remember Isaac is a sinner. Isaac actually deserves God's wrath. He actually deserves to die. Okay, this is not like, oh poor little Isaac, he shouldn't die. No, Isaac's a sinner. He deserves death, but God is a gracious God. And God provided a substitute. And this was also foreshadowing of what God was going to do in the future with the Lamb of God. And we were building this idea up in their minds. As we were teaching this story of Abraham and Isaac, I still remember because Yoel, again, when Isaac, you know, Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain, and Isaac's like, hey, Dad, where's the Lamb? And, you know, Abraham says, well, God will provide the Lamb. And Yoel starts laughing. He's like, He's just lying to him. He doesn't want to tell his kid that he's going to kill him. True. But as we got done with the story, you all said, no, wait. Abraham wasn't lying. He knew that God was going to provide the lamb. He didn't know what God was going to do, but he knew that God was going to provide. So he wasn't lying. He was trusting that God was going to provide. And it was exactly right. We kept teaching We got to where we talked about the Israelites and their 400 years in Egypt. And at the end of all that, how God delivered them and all the amazing, awesome things that he did with the the plagues and everything, um, and just trying to once again remind them of how great and powerful and awesome God is. During that time, we talked about the Passover. And it was so awesome to teach about the Passover. I mean, it is such an awesome picture of, of redemption in Christ. And we taught about how the Israelites, if they trusted God, they would take a lamb, 
They would kill it, they would take its blood, and they would put it over the doorposts of their house. And then they would enter that house. And when the death angel went by, he would look down, and if there was blood on the doorpost, he would pass over. And he would spare them. And it was such an awesome picture of exactly what Jesus does for us of that covering of Jesus' blood over us. And when God looks down on us, he doesn't, see, he, he doesn't see us in a sense. He sees Jesus. He sees the blood of Jesus covering us. Such an awesome picture. And so we were building that idea in their minds. We were reminding them. Blood had to be shed. Death is the penalty for sin. And that was the picture that the Israelites were getting as they killed these lambs. That should be me. I should die. But we were also showing them, reminding them, that just like the Israelites, they were, the Israelites were, were, God accepted this substitute. God would accept this lamb as a substitute, as just a covering for their sins. It didn't take away their sins, but it covered their sins for a time. Because God knew in the future that the Redeemer was going to pay for those sins. And just like that, we were reminding them, guys, we need a substitute. If we don't want to be separated from God forever, we need a substitute. And God has promised to do something about our sins. God has promised to do something about the hold that Satan has on us. And we were reminding them again and again. As we were teaching that, I was talking with um, two guys one day. Um, Sorry, I was supposed to do that a little bit earlier. I was talking with two guys, Amon and Aminus. I mean, we were, we were talking about that idea of, 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 of a substitute, but how a lamb's blood, a lamb's blood could not take away our sins. It just, for the Israelites too, it was just a covering for their sins. It didn't take their sins away. It just covered. And, and Amon and Minus were both saying, yeah, the blood of lambs cannot rid us of our sins. It only covers them. So even if our sins were covered, we cannot live with a perfect God. Only if our sins are taken away can we live with him. We have to have someone who can take away our sins. We need a Savior who can take away our sins. They didn't know who that Savior was. They didn't know about Jesus yet. But this was building in their minds and they were understanding more and more. We need God to do something. Otherwise, we are hopeless. We are helpless. The picture was forming in their minds. And they understood that God and the Savior he was going to send was the only one who could take them, take their sins away and join them back up with God. Then we got to the Ten Commandments. And oh man, this was fun. This was a fun one to teach. Because we taught the Ten Commandments like the Bible says to teach them. We held up the mirror in essence. We flipped the mirror around and we showed everybody who they were. That's what the Ten Commandments are supposed to do for us. Not look at the Ten Commandments like, okay, number one, okay, got to do that, yep, good. Two, okay, got to really try hard, no. The Ten Commandments, we're supposed to look at them and say, are you kidding me? I can't do that. So we flipped the mirror on the core of people and said, what do you think? How do you match up? Oh, man, like all of us should be. They were like, you got to be kidding me. We break these all the time. The number, one, the number one commandment that hit them, not the number one, but one of the biggest commandments that hit them was don't take the Lord's name in vain. The Korah people have had religious influence from the outside. And so they, 
have learned God's name in quite a few different languages. And so they will actually take the Lord's name in vain in Korah, in a neighboring language, the Induga, and in the national language, Indonesian. And then when they're real creative, they'll do all of that all in one sentence. Taking the, the Lord's name in vain. And so when we taught about that, we were, they were like, you got to be kidding me. The people who thought they were righteous before God, that thought they were good people, were like, are you serious? This is God's standard? We never do that. Or we always do that, sorry. We always take the Lord's name in vain. And as they're in their surprise, like if people, if people are used to cussing and swearing, obviously when they get really surprised, what do they do? They do it again. And they would literally say it, they, oh, and they would use God's name in vain. And it's, oh, and they'd say God's name in vain again. I mean, literally we saw this until they were literally covering their mouths and just like, mm, because they just couldn't stop. It was showing them, the mirror had been flipped on them and it was showing them that they could never, ever be right with God on their own. As we were teaching the law, I was talking with um, this young man on the left here, Quidianus. And I was talking to him, and, and like always, I mean, the Lord's name in vain usually comes out of their mouth every, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute. Once again, he takes the Lord's name in vain, except now he had seen God's standard, and he realized what he'd done, and he said, oh, man. He said, I don't know what I... I don't know what to do. I can't stop. And he said, and the problem is, is even if I stop now and if I never said God's name in vain for the rest of my life, it doesn't matter. I've broken the law. I'm guilty before God. He was once again being cut to the heart, realizing that the, the foundations that it, it had been holding up all these false beliefs were one by one coming down. Enias, this other guy, said, this is terrible news. I can't take it anymore. And around this time, you guys are thinking, man, you guys are some stinky missionaries. <laughs> like You're like depressing these poor people. But we have to realize, guys, and so many times we forget this. We want to present the good news. We want to present Jesus loves you. He died for you. And that's good. But people have to realize that until we, under, until, until we get to that point, people have to realize that over here we start as objects of God's wrath. We have to understand that we are, apart from Christ, we are under God's wrath. We are unrighteous. We are sinners. And we deserve condemnation. They have to understand that. And then when they get presented with the good news, like I talked about this morning, is it's like, no way. And it's so good. But if they don't get the bad news first, they won't get the good news. And so I was able to tell Enias, I said, I said, I know. It is bad news, but that's exactly what God's law is supposed to do. It's supposed to show you how bad you are. It's supposed to show you how you will never be right with God on your own. But remember, we always try to give that little tidbit. Remember, God promised that he was going to send someone to crush the head of Satan. Don't give up. You know, the last thing we want him to do is stop coming, and all they heard is the law, and they just live under that for the rest of their life. We said, don't, don't give up. God said he's going to do something. So we kept teaching. We got to the New Testament. We got to the New Testament. Even in the New Testament, as we were talking about um, Jesus and his birth, and we began to see um, the, the fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy, even in the birth of Christ, 
It was showing them, it was pointing them once again that Jesus was this Redeemer. We got to the lesson about when Jesus was baptized by, by John. And as Jesus comes down, John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They didn't, we were really hoping that they would get it at that point, you know? Like, oh wait, Jesus is going to take our sins away. They didn't fully get it at that point, but they began to see and they began to understand that Jesus, who is God, who is sinless, was the Messiah. He was the Savior. And they didn't know what he was going to do, but they knew that he was the one sent by God. And he was going to do something, and they wanted to find out. And their hopes began to, to be holy set on Jesus and clinging to him and what he was going to do. We continued, um, I guess there was a, whoa. Don't know what happened there. All right, I guess we can just turn that off. Went a little wacko there. Okay. Okay, so as I was teaching, um, and we, continue, we continue, continued on teaching, and, and we got to the, t- uh, to the lesson about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And how Jesus taught from, uh, in Matthew 9.13 where he says, I have, called to, I have come to call those, not those who think they're righteous, but I've come to call sinners. And we used and we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector and how, you know, the Pharisee is standing there before God and saying, I'm such a good guy. Thank you, Lord, that you've made me so good. And yet Jesus said, I didn't come to save people like that who don't realize their sinfulness. I came to save people who have come to the end of themselves. And once again, we were reminding and showing the core of people that there was nothing that we could do in and of ourselves. And we finally got to the point where we taught on the crucifixion, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And guys, let me just say that God is amazing. Watching the Holy Spirit move was amazing. The Holy Spirit was working on these guys like crazy as they listened to the story about how the God of all creation came down in the form of human beings, in, in, in Jesus. He came down and he died. He took all of our sins upon himself and he died this terrible death on a cross so that he could be our substitute, so that he could be our lamb, just like the lambs that they would slaughter, just like the lambs that they would, the blood that they put over the doorpost. Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf so it could cover us from the wrath of God. He took the wrath of God so we didn't have to. And guys, as we taught this, the lights, it was like the Holy Spirit was going, on, going through and like bing, 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 bing. Lights were just coming on in people's eyes and they were, they were getting it. And they were saying, no way. I can't believe that God did that for me. And guys, it wasn't just testimonies like, oh yeah, I love Jesus, or you know, I want to study more about the Bible. Like, no, they were understanding their depravity, where they had come from, and what Jesus had done for them. You want to come up? We've got a couple testimonies. Um, was that a little sudden? 
Um, I was just going to have Shelly share one of the testimonies um, of one of the ladies. Um, I was going to have their picture up there. It was Watina from earlier that I showed you the lady with that they always said an evil spirit. But you want to just share a testimony yes. from her? Um, my first memory of Watina was when we would go to their um, ritual, their little, I guess, religious ceremony they had there. And she would have her New Testament from this other language and her glasses on. And she would be sitting there and trying to, like, read it. And that was, we just thought, oh, man, she's really into this thing. And we find out more and more as we get to know her. She was a very self-righteous woman and felt like she was not a sinner. She was completely okay with God. And um, as we, she started coming to the teaching, and even then, um, throughout quite a bit of the beginning of the teaching, she would say, I'm not a sinner. I'm, God's totally fine with me. And uh, as we went through the Old Testament and the law and everything, it was like God was just like tearing her down bit by bit by bit and um, came to the point where she finally admitted, yep, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and uh, it was really neat because um, when she finally saw Jesus and realized he was her substitute, you know, her eyes lit up and she got this fire in her. And um, I just thought I'd read part of her testimony. And she said... Um, I'm a sinner, so based on that, I can't be with God. Um, but Jesus died in my place and paid for my sins, and so based on that, I can be with him. I'm now a child of God based on what Jesus did. And um, it was just really neat to see her passion because from that moment on, she said, I got to take this news. I got to take this news down Valley. They don't know it yet. I want to go tell them. And um, she was able to lead her daughter to the Lord. Her daughter hadn't been there for the teaching, and she came after the teaching was done, and she took her through all the truths that she knew, and her daughter is a believer today. And then she also goes out now and even tells other villages and everything, and it's just really neat to see her grab hold of that, um, that truth and realize she had nothing to do with it. Uh, one of the guys, I want to tell you about one of the guys, his name's Sem Bissing. I don't know if you guys remember Sem Bissing. He was the blind guy um, throughout our teaching. And uh, man, just amazing story. Um, but Sem Bissing, you know, he couldn't come to the teaching because he'd been blind for about four to five years with cataracts, which we didn't know at the time, but they were just cataracts. He couldn't come to the teaching, so we got an MP3 player, and we gave that to him. We were making sure that the, the recordings were staying on there. He was staying up to date with the teaching. But really throughout the teaching, we didn't know how much he had really listened to it. Uh, we'd gone and visited him like two or three times, but we weren't sure. Um, and then so about a week after the teaching, I went up to visit him. And, um, I mean, guys, if only you could have seen. I mean, this, this is a guy, Sem Bissing, he had shriveled away to almost nothing just because he had been sitting in a dark hut for four to five years. He had no uh, motivation to live, really. I mean, he would literally, he would be sitting there normally. He'd be sitting there like this, kind of rocking back and forth, just mumbling, just you couldn't understand what he was saying. I thought he was at the end of his life and kind of going crazy, so I didn't even know, like, what's he going to get? I go in there, and before I even sit down, I, I, I duck into their huts. Their huts, the doors are about four foot tall and about that wide, so it's hard for me to get in. I duck in, kind of sideways, and he grabs my arm. He says, Craig, come here. And I'm like, oh, this guy can talk? Craig, come here. Sit down by me. Sit by the fire. I got something to tell you. And he goes on to lay out one of the clearest testimonies that we had heard. 
He said, before this teaching, I knew the story of Jesus dying, but I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know why he died, but now I realize that he died in order to pay for my sins. I'm a sinner and I can't pay for my own sins, but now I realize that he has paid for them. Because of that, I can go, to, I can go live with God. He also said later, Jesus is like a bridge and I can be with God through Jesus. Without him, there is no hope, but because of him, I'm connected with God. He said, before this talk, I wanted to die. I wasn't eating anything. I, did, I couldn't see. I didn't care. But now I'm different. I feel different. It's because I have believed what Jesus did for me, so now he lives within me, and I'm a different person. And it was his, I mean, like, talk about, like, a blind man's eyes being, like, bright. It was crazy. After that, as you guys know, some of you guys know, we were able to actually get cataract surgery for him, and the guy can see now. He's out there working in the garden. He is the funniest guy, and he's just like on fire for the Lord. One day I was asking his, his nephew, you know, how's your dad doing? Because he was a little ways away from us. He said, oh, he's, do, he's doing good. He won't, he won't shut up about Yahweh's talk, so, you know. I said, well, good. He's not supposed to. So that was Sembissing. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about Wetty. Um, wish there was a picture of her, but I don't think you can get it up. But um, yeah, she's a, a little girl that is really close to our kids, actually. And um, she comes from a really religious background. Her dad and her uncles are all the religious leaders in our valley. And um, they are pretty much identical to the Pharisees of the Bible. And they're very pious. And so you can guess that when we started teaching on the law and the fact that we can't find our way back to God. They were not happy. And um, she, she um, kept coming, even though they weren't very happy about that. And she came, went through the whole teaching, and by the end, she believed it all, and she understood it all. And she said, I am a believer in Yahweh. And um, about that time, the, the persecution the Korah started experiencing kind of started at that time. The religious leaders started really bearing down hard, and they had told the women of that family, if we even see you talking to the missionaries or hanging out on their porch, we're going to either, you know, beat you or disown you, and we don't want you anywhere near them. And so around that time, we started noticing her kind of drawing away, getting really distant, almost like angry and troubled, and we just started getting kind of worried for her, you know. And um, we just started praying because that's kind of all we could do. And every time we got an opportunity to just show her love, we tried to do that and just encouraged her and, um, yeah, basically showed her love while her father and her uncles were basically beaten down on her, not physically, but just kept belittling her for believing this talk. And um, it was a few weeks of that where we just kept praying for her, and she started coming back to the teaching, and she started, her eyes started getting a light in it, and we can just guess that she was just wrestling, you know, like, am I going to hold on to this talk or am I, am I going to just go back to what I knew before? And um, since then, she's actually been coming really faithfully, even though she is persecuted quite a bit for that. And um, I just wanted to share really quick, too, her and her cousin both had very um, strong religious, you know, fathers, and her cousin quit coming. And she was a believer, but she just quit coming and didn't want to come because her father had said, I will beat you. And so just before we came back, Wethi was sharing with me. She came up really excited, and she said, I have been praying for my cousin, Doropi is her name. 
I've been praying for her this whole time that she would come back and that she would grow and she'd hear more about this talk. And she said, today she came and she's coming back to the talk and she doesn't care what her father's gonna do to her. And it was just really exciting for her, Wethy, to see he heard my prayers and, you know, and he answers. So that's just a little bit about Wethy. She still has to put up with quite a bit of persecution that way, but just keep her in your prayers. Um, the last one, and we're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to make this short, but um, a really neat one is Agnus. Um, he, you're going to see him in a video we're going to show here in a second, but he says in the video, I used to be a pastor. He used to be a pastor in the religious system they had there before, and he would literally stand up before the congregation. He would say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I thank you that I'm not sinful like the sinners that didn't come to church today. And he would go on and on about that, just proud self-righteous the law when we taught the law it just it just cut to the heart for him Anus also had a problem with adultery so as we taught about about that about that commandment it was like everybody knew his sin and he was cut to the heart and he realized he was a sinner and he gave in he repented in the end he accepted Christ as his sin as his savior and um I just wanted to share with you guys um, his first prayer as a believer because it was so neat. You know, in the past he used to do that, you know, he used, God, thank you that I'm so good. This time, after he became a believer, he was just sitting there. He was sitting on the dirt, his head bent, and he just said, Yahweh, here we are sitting before you. We can't come to you based on what we've done because we're sinners, but we come to you based on what Jesus has done for us and through his blood. Help us study your word today. We thank you, Yahweh, for what you have done. And it was just like the humility, the just understanding, first of all, who he was, but now who he is in Christ, just being thankful. So we continued on teaching. We, we, you know, when we finished the teaching, there was about 30 to 35 people who trusted Christ as their Savior. And we continued on teaching them. Um, we continued going on and showing them their security in Christ through stories in the Old Testament like uh, Noah and how before they were like the people outside the ark. And God was raining down his wrath on them. That's who they were. But now they're inside the ark. And that ark, Christ, is a covering. And that wrath of God isn't hitting them anymore because Christ has absorbed it all. And we were showing them how they were secu- that they're secure in Christ. We continued on into Acts, teaching them about the early church. Teaching them about the early church and... Um, teaching them about the early church and showing them how, um, talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, how before these people like, like Peter was, you know, running away and denying Christ, but now the Holy Spirit lived inside of him, and he was emboldened by it. And he was telling people, he was telling Pharisees who, used to, who, you, who he used to be so scared of, he was, he was standing right up to him, saying, who do you want me to, you know, who do you want me to obey? You are God. You know, and just the boldness we saw, and we talked about that Holy Spirit, that indwelling Holy Spirit is in us who have believed. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And we got to show them about the, the persecution that the early church was going through. And yet they were, they were holding fast because they were trusting and relying on the Holy Spirit. After that, we were able to uh, teach a little bit about Revelation in Revelation and talk about the second coming of Christ and how he's not coming back as baby Jesus number two. He's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back as a conqueror. 
and he's coming back to judge the nations. We talked about the great white throne judgment, how, you know, God's going to open the books of what we've done, you know, but he's going to open our books, those of us who trust. He's going to open Craig's book. He's going to look in there. He's not going to see anything because Jesus, is, he's wiped my slate clean. He's taken my sins. He's taken my penalty and, and getting them to identify with that and saying, oh, yeah, that's right. Jesus has taken our punishment. Guys, the, the core of people are still facing persecution by the people around them for what they believe, for holding on to Christ instead of holding on to what they do. So keep them in your prayers. You know, it's not easy for them, but they're holding tight. We're going to be going back in uh, October of this year, um, and we're going to continue on teaching them about what Christ has done for them. We're going to continue to teach them about uh, the Christian life, hopefully get into like a, a Romans and Ephesians, um, and also uh, start focusing on a, on a future outreach, because we don't want this, this to stop here. We want it to keep going like a wildfire. And so just keep praying for them. We're going to show you now a little video, um, just so it's basically what we just talked about here, but we want you to see it in pictures and video so you, it can really come alive for you. So hope you guys enjoy it. <laughs> 